Welcome to the latest episode of the Tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week we will discuss Brexit and what it means for European and British startups, Finnish mobile games maker Supercell, which became Europe's most valuable startup, valued at $10.2 billion. We'll discuss Twitter's most recent acquisition in London. They hired machine learning startup Magic Pony. And our editor, Robin, catches up with Seedcamp's Reshma Sohoni before Neil and I wrap up with a debate about the number of unicorns we have in Europe. Seems that number is up for grabs. So, Brexit. Neil, I don't even know what to say. Should we even be covering Britain on tech.eu? I'm not sure. I mentioned that to Robin. He didn't seem to go for it. He said, yeah, we cover Russia, Turkey. We're going to keep on covering Britain. Anyway, um, why don't you give us an update on the sentiment and the reaction over in London? Yeah, I mean, it's still pretty raw, to be completely honest. We're recording this Saturday. If we'd have recorded yesterday, as we normally do, I probably wouldn't have been able to sound as upbeat as I as I did in the intro. It's definitely been kind of a very dark and somber mood in Britain since the result, especially for those of us who kind of in the tech scene or kind of have, I mean, my partner is Danish and kids half Danish. So yeah, it hasn't been great. I think, I mean, in terms of business, I mean, this is, in my opinion, this would be very harmful for the London tech scene. I saw Mike Butcher report that he had already heard of yesterday three London or UK-based startups where their funding had fallen through because there was a condition from investors that, you know, Brexit wouldn't happen. They would they would only get the funding if Brexit didn't happen. So that was three cases just told to one person yesterday. So of course, small sample, but really, really telling kind of in the post reaction period where kind of, you know, there's so much upheaval and uncertainty, people are reacting kind of very spontaneously. And kind of right now, there's, it, there's immediate kind of impacts in a negative way, I would say, on a tech scene and in the business space. One of the more interesting things I've found is kind of all the the people in the, the London scene who are kind of really, really speaking out about Brexit, saying, you know, this would be a disaster, you know, it would be suicide, we can't do this. All of a sudden, they are now blogging yesterday, you know, oh, well, you know, it, we don't know what's going to happen yet, you know, we're still you know we're still committed we're gonna we're gonna go for it you know we'll work things out that's the way entrepreneurs do it and kind of yeah maybe it won't be that bad or you know that was kind of the sentiment yesterday and I have to admit initially I was kind of uh, I felt a bit kind of disheartened by that because I felt like you know principles had kind of been a, a laid way for for business but ultimately as my kind of anger wears off and I kind of face up to to what's next I kind of completely understand where they're coming from this decision has been made now so you know we have to lump it or leave it excuse the really bad pun but we we really have to kind of make a go of it you know like of course vcs and investors have to say we're still there we're still committed we believe we can still build great companies here because we have to do that now and that's what the london scene faces i mean the, the london and the uk tech scene from now on will be a lot different to the one before but that doesn't mean necessarily that it can't succeed but i you know i think it will be hit hard talent comes first to mind i think investment will will suffer as well and i think thinking about europe it gives other kind of hubs in europe kind of it may help them in a way because they may attract 
some of the investment that was coming to London and some of the talent that was going to London. So we may actually see a fairer spread against Europe. But yeah, I, I've gone on a bit. But in summary, I I don't think it's it's a good thing. But I, I'm certainly of the sentiment now of you know that has happened. So we have to kind of do our best from now on. Yeah, and I think everything you've kind of just mentioned sums up the global sentiment, which is a lot of confusion. Nobody really seems to know what this means for Europeans and British startups in the long run. Tech City issued a statement to the British and the UK-based startup community saying that nothing would change anytime soon. That said, there was one thing that did change immediately, and that was that financial markets reacted to the news. According to the BBC, the pound fell to its lowest against the dollar since 1985. So that's a 31-year low for British sterling, which lost 10% of its value at the moment that the results were announced. Now, this is obviously going to have an impact for startups. We've already mentioned that some startups also, in terms of funding, are not going to be able to secure the funding that they thought they would from Europe-based investors. Also, many startups seem to be worried about immigration. You mentioned, obviously, your personal situation. Tech City confirmed that Tech Nation visa, the, I guess the visa scheme um, that they put into place to help some of the UK's best startups, it would still be a priority. And naturally, many non-British Europeans seeking employment today in the UK may have difficulty given the status of Britain in the EU and the fact that it won't be very clear for the next few years. So I think this almost sounds like the UK kind of shot its economy in the foot to me. But I mean, I, as you say, you really have to kind of look forward, just consider that this is a done deal. And where do you go from here? So I can tell you, there was a very strong reaction in France, while it may actually be an opportunity in the long run for many other locations. France's immediate reaction seemed to be that this was a bit of a tragedy. And I also got the feeling that everybody just kind of, you know, wanted to make things move forward as fast as possible. That That's the only way now, right? Like that we're, we're almost left with no choice. And I certainly went through kind of, you know, at first I was upset, then I was angry, then I was ashamed to be British. I mean, I certainly consider myself to be to be European and, and part of the EU, right? And the the thing, the, the real issue here is a lot of people in the tech scene in Britain are now being punished for living their lives in an open way and taking advantage of the EU and all of a sudden if that's going to that's going to stop these people are essentially going to be punished for that but this is a way and you know an entrepreneur and the people in texting do look at things right like when there's a problem or when there's an obstacle when there's a barrier you think about how you can solve it and I spent my Friday kind of putting things into place that I need to do personally and business-wise now this has happened and I think that's why we got those posts from kind of VCs and investors who who held that view before because we just have to start putting those pieces into place and then you know do what's best and and if that is moved the company from the UK then that is moved the company from the UK if it's not, it's not, you know, and like you say, there's so much uncertainty right now. I think the best thing to do is just to kind of have these contingency plans in place. Who knows, you might not even need them. But I think at this point, everyone should be exploring all options available to them. And kind of as the picture gets a little bit clearer, then you will be able to decide kind of the best path you can take for your company or for you personally. Agree with you. I think we're going to have to keep an eye out on what's uh, going to be the relationship between Britain and the rest of Europe, and especially the impact it's going to have on startups. Now, on a happier note, Finnish mobile games maker Supercell became Europe's most valuable startup. So 
prior to actually Supercell, it was Spotify, which was valued at just over $8 billion. But recently, because Chinese company Tencent has agreed to buy up to 84% of the Finland-based company for roughly $8.6 billion, this makes Supercell's valuation roughly $10.2 billion. So that puts it way ahead of Spotify. Supercell, which was founded in 2010 in Helsinki, currently has about 200 employees worldwide. They have released a number of popular games like Heyday, Clash of Clans, Boom Beach. The company's top four games have a combined 100 million daily players, a number that blows my mind. And Supercell did $780 million in revenue last year, mainly from selling add-ons to its free games. I think that's incredible, actually. So by purchasing the maker of popular Clash of Clans, Chinese Tencent will capture roughly 13% of the $100 billion games market globally. Uh, That's according to Fortune. And games comprised roughly half of the company's sales in 2015 for the company that is worth $200 in public markets. So some people actually refer to Tencent as the game industry's kind of silent giant. I guess it's not as well known in some respects as Baidu or Alibaba that are also big Chinese kind of superstars. Um, And Europe is definitely proving itself strong in the game space. I guess Supercell follows other European game successes like Rovio, who's the maker of Angry Birds, and King, who makes Candy Crush. Yeah, and they have another thing in common, which they are all Nordics. Of course, this is my kind of area of of kind of expertise, if you like, or at least my passion. And yeah, I I kind of kind of got shot down for for getting a little carried away about this supercell valuation. I mean, the first thing to point out is Europe's first ever decacorn. It's not a unicorn anymore. Decacorn has been uh, created in Europe, and it's come from little old Finland. So I think that's uh, very notable. The other thing I said, which which got shot down, which is quite interesting in the context of what we're going to discuss at the end of the podcast, is I said four of the top five most valuable tech companies that Europe has ever produced have come from the Nordics. That's Supercell, Spotify, King and Skype. I mean, the other one is either Zalando or Rocket Internet, depending on when you look at it. So from Germany. And people said, well, yeah, but it's not ever. They're not Europe's most valuable ever. But my my comment was kind of in the way we look at it now in terms of unicorns. So kind of post-2003, post-internet age, VC-backed private companies, four of five have come from the Nordics. And kind of interesting, there's none from the UK even in that top five. So it's it's kind of a incredible statistic that these companies come from there and are most valuable. And I kind of think it almost proves that you can build kind of great companies in Europe from pretty much anywhere. Yeah. And actually, I just have to ask you out of curiosity, like why would the Nordics be so strong in the gaming space? I think there were some early hits or some some kind of early clusters of talent. And then they've kind of just gone on from there. So I think one of the, the things that that we think about when we think about startup hubs is like this kind of cluster of talent, right? But it also applies to verticals as well. So of course, we have these kind of early hits, and then people go and form their own companies. And then people in the ecosystem or people at university kind of say, hey, like, I want to join that company, it looks pretty cool. So then they kind of gravitate towards that as well. So I think kind of in the same way that just startup hubs in general kind of evolve, I think that also happens kind of in verticals and gaming is kind of It's one of those uh, almost, not niche, but areas where certain expertise 
is needed or a certain interest is needed. So then it can kind of quickly kind of gather a lot of people in that area and a lot of talent. So I think, yeah, a couple of early hits and yeah, gamers and are pretty kind of active in the Nordics. Of course, the Nordics got access to the internet quite quickly, had very good speed at the internet quite quickly. What do you do on the internet? You play games. So I think that naturally kind of Nordics are very interested in gaming as well. So that's kind of helped form the picture as well. Great. Well, now we have to keep an eye out on this decacorn. I actually hadn't heard that term, but it makes a lot of sense. So we spoke about Twitter on the last podcast, uh, mentioning mainly that they had a bit of movement in Europe regards to the team and also a recent investment in SoundCloud. Now they've gone and announced an acquisition that they made for London-based machine learning startup Magic Pony. So Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey explained uh, the deal on his blog, mentioning that this acquisition builds on previous acquisitions like Madbits and Wetlab. I really hope I'm saying that right, um, that Twitter did in 2014 and 2015, Magic Pony, which develops algorithms that can understand features and various images, is a startup that actually originated in London's pre-idea startup accelerator, which is called Entrepreneur First. Now, I've heard of Entrepreneur First, but Neil, maybe you know a bit more about what they do? Yeah, um, so they're a really, really interesting model, actually. So they're an accelerator, but then they say they're not an accelerator. They don't like to be called an accelerator. But essentially, they're kind of going in in as you say pre-idea so they're matching people together so most of the time it's kind of really really kind of high uh, level university graduates so looking at oxford cambridge people have dropped out of mckinsey i think it's pretty fair to say fairly intelligent people and then what they do is they put them together yeah. for three months and they pay a subsidy of, of kind of your living expenses while you're in this three month part of the program. And essentially, you just connect with people and then you kind of experiment with some ideas. And then you look to form a company with those people. So it's all about the people rather than the, the idea, right? Like, or, so it's, it's really taking the team to a new level or the idea of that to a new level. And then after those three months, I believe they then have three months to kind of accelerate that idea or kind of make something of that idea at which point entrepreneur first kind of you know 15 percent or you know fifteen thousand pounds for eight percent i believe that's right but it's something in those in that area which is kind of more traditional accelerator type figures so that's kind of how it works and a lot of people in the uk are kind of really hyped up about this model they now have a little fund themselves there's been a lot of kind of good press around them for the last couple of years because it's an innovative way of looking at it many people are calling them kind of the next y combinator in fact because it is such a kind of clever way of, of putting people together and this is their their first i, I don't know if it's the first exit but it's certainly the first significant exit yeah actually it's funny when you were describing it i thought of y combinator actually when they are you know, incubating and working with the startups, I guess incubating is probably not the right word, accelerating the startups, they force the entrepreneurs to live together. And I think probably the human element is definitely something that we kind of, in many programs take for granted. So that made me think about Y Combinator when you mentioned it. And this is definitely not the first time I've heard of them, but this is the first time I've heard about Entrepreneur First having a big success. So we'll need to pay attention to other startups that come from there. Now, with regards to this deal, the terms of the acquisition were actually not disclosed, but there were rumors of around $150 million. Jack Dorsey mentioned that the Magic Pony team would be joining Twitter Cortex and the Magic Pony website is actually no longer available. So it does look a little bit like an acquire. Um, and there are actually many articles speculating that this may just be a play to beef up Twitter's AI team. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be uh, surprised by that. I mean, it almost plays into what I was saying before about kind of the talent or the people rather than what they've actually created, although certainly 150 million isn't uh, a small amount by any means. So I, I'm sure they do have some kind of good tech there uh, in the machine learning space. But yeah, I would imagine that a, a big part of it is the people as well. So yeah, I don't think you would be too far off the mark there. Actually, something on the price, um, which I didn't mention before is, this entrepreneur first claimed this is the biggest exit from a European accelerator, 150 million. And I found that very surprising. I mean, I spoke out about that and people said, you shouldn't be surprised. The you know accelerator kind of model in Europe is still a long way behind the US. And, you know, that is fair enough. And 150 million is, you know, that's a very decent exit. My point that I was making is I often feel that the way accelerators talk in Europe, that they would have had more exits above 150 or at least even in that mark. I mean, then when I looked into it, I can't really see many above 100 million plus. And my kind of concern was the way accelerators sell themselves to European startups and kind of paint this big picture, but yet you know, there isn't much end products, at least not yet. So my kind of problem was with the way kind of accelerators communicate when the reality comes out that biggest exit is 150 million. Someone did point out to me, of course, that SeedCamp or TransferWise went through SeedCamp and are currently valued around uh, $1 billion. So of course, this depending on what happens to TransferWise, um, this 150 million may be surpassed at some point in the, the not so distant future. Yeah, I think actually it depends on what you're calling an accelerator because um, I was going to mention Seedcamp, but we also had an acquisition in France uh, for a company that went through the family that was at 200 million euros. So I think there are probably examples right about that ballpark, probably not a whole bunch more, but I think that definitely sounds kind of in the high range. So hopefully we will see more acquisitions and successes that come out of European accelerators. Now, our editor, Robin, had a chance to actually catch up with Reshma Sahoni from Seed Camp in London. So, hey, this is Robin from TechU, and here with Reshma Sahoni from Seed Camp, and we're here at the Pioneers Festival in Vienna. What brings you here, Reshma? I was here at the first Pioneers. It was so small. It's amazing what they've built this into. So it's just center of gravity every, every year around this time of year, right? So it's fantastic to be here. Does SeedCamp get a lot of uh, companies from the region here, from Vienna and like neighboring countries? Yes, actually. You know, look, London London is obviously one of our strongest, but Berlin, Vienna continues to be very strong. We've backed a couple of uh, Austrian companies historically, so they really encourage a lot of other founders to come. And I think just this recent kind of group of pre-seed companies, we have maybe two that are Austrian. So pretty exciting. Um, Aside from geographies, what are some of the interesting verticals that you see more of these days than you used to, say, five years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think it won't be any kind of shock to say we, we've been doing a lot in property tech, fintech, and maybe even the crossover of the, of the two. You know, but increasingly, we backed a company called Oratio that's doing kind of chatbot um, and, and doing customer service for big corporations through, through chat framework. So that's pretty interesting. A lot of, I think, a lot of kind of AI actually applied to the enterprise. So in the legal space, I mean, a, a lot of different sectors. So AI, certainly, we invest in a company called Splash VR. So applications within the, the VR space. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of things kind of geared towards the enterprise. So what about SeedCam itself? I know you just, uh, well, recently raised a 20 million fund. So uh, how long does that last you still? And when's the next fund coming? 
You think it's going to last you three, three and a half years, but we're actually going through it pretty quick. So we are uh, aggressively investing the last couple of years since we since we launched. So don't be surprised, I guess, if we got to the market again to raise the next fund. Because, I mean, the talent we're seeing in Europe is just amazing. We were talking earlier about the quality of that talent. And so, you know, even in the roasted session, which is a bit of fun, it was hard to pick those companies apart. I mean, I think uh, the storytelling has dramatically improved with European founders and, and the tech talent and, and so forth. I think where, where we need to go get a lot better on is, you know, the talent you need to bring on when you're at Series A or B stage company. We're still looking a lot to the West Coast and New York to try to entice some of that, some of those folks to, to move to, you know, London or Berlin or Stockholm as such. So we need a few more kind of, you know, we, we need more success stories here where we can see then, a repeat sort of heads of product, heads of marketing, head of growth and, and so forth. So we need to double down on those skill sets. I guess it's just another step in the cycle. You can't really skip ahead of that, right? So um, you've been moving up the stack a little bit in terms of investment. So you don't call yourself an accelerator anymore. You're more like a micro VC or a seed fund, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but then you see all of these smallish funds popping up in London, but also other places in Europe. Um, do you see that as a good thing? Do you see it as competition? Do you see it as opportunities for co-investments? How do you look at that? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's all of the above. So definitely competition, probably much more so as co-investors, really. And I think if you're if you are a startup out there, you know, and you've got your choice of who to take money from, which is a luxury, you know, position of luxury to be in, I would really think deeply about ensuring you have investors from the key hubs, perhaps across continents as, as well, if you are so lucky. So definitely get some key investors from London, Berlin, Paris, Vienna, uh, Nordics, etc. because then you can build a pretty powerful basis to your round. Because one of the problems with this much money, which is again, a good thing is a lot of very similar things are getting funded concurrently and they're raising the exact same amounts and have the exact same traction. So it's really tough to have any of those or see which one of those is really going to reach escape velocity and maybe subsume each other. So, you know, get get a get a diversity of investors if you can. So um, with Seedcamp, you have a pretty unique perspective on how Europe has evolved since 2007 when you started. Um, what do you think is still lacking in Europe? What do you think we still need to get to, you know, the next level, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think, as you just said, you know, there's so many more, the 30 to 50, 70 million funds. There's a lot of those and a lot of brilliant choice amongst those. But, you know, it narrows, um, that funnel narrows significantly as you get towards A, B, C and, and so forth. So we've got a lot of work there to, to do. And I think, I just wouldn't believe anybody who says that there's too much money at that stage. There just, there just isn't. So we've got to try to attract that capital from wherever else we can and, and also to build it again within Europe as well. Uh, well, thank you, Reshma, for your time and best of luck with CCAM. Thanks so much. Fun to be here. And finally, there seems to be a disagreement on the number of unicorns we have in Europe. This dispute is actually hilarious to me. So The Guardian reported that Europe counted 47 unicorns, 18 of which were based in the UK. And this number comes from a report done by investment bank GP Bullhound. Companies on the list are not too surprising. Obviously, you have Supercell, Spotify, Rovio, Funding Circle, TransferWise. But then Fortune went on to state that this number is incorrect in an aggressive article titled, No, 
Europe does not have 47 unicorns. And Fortune specifies that a unicorn is a privately held company that is valued at 1 billion or more. So Spotify, which tops GP Bullhound's list, is indeed a unicorn. But Microsoft owns Skype, which comes in at number two, is not a unicorn. So the article estimates that Europe has roughly 25 unicorns. And even this number may be a stretch because certain companies like Ventprivé are 15 years old. Now, I actually remember having a chat with Nicholas Zenstrom, the founder of Skype, who actually said to me that Europe counts 40 unicorns, and this was probably uh, earlier this year. Maybe he's counting Skype, but I kind of doubt he would. I think he's somebody very credible that probably knows the correct definition of a unicorn. So, Neil, what is your take on this? Yeah, I mean, this is purely about definitions, right? Like, that that's all it is. We still have the same amount of companies that are valued at a billion plus or not, depending on whether they're public, private, VC-backed or not. There's still the same amount of companies, right? Um, and I think that that is probably in the 40 to 50 kind of company mark. So that number is that. What the the number that um, Fortune is talking about is when you kind of drill down a bit more and you talk about private companies from 2003 onwards who are VC-backed. So of those 40 to 50 companies, there's 18 or whatever who meet that criteria. Um, and like I said before, you know, I got in trouble for, for kind of saying the most valuable tech companies Europe have produced is because I was going with this definition that Fortune use, actually. So it's very hard to, to, you know, in all honesty, you can probably use either number depending on what picture that you're trying to paint. Both kind of, you know, can be can be used. I kind of like Fortune's article because they are right. I mean, that is the strict definition of a unicorn. So they are right in that sense. I think actually on TechEU last year, I think we counted about 13 in total. So that would that would kind of probably make sense now. But even then, I would say that it's still kind of incorrect. I mean, and this again proves definitions because in GP Bullhound's report, Rovio is valued at $4 billion and it's not quite clearly. I mean, for many reasons, it's never actually been given an external valuation or like made public. And certainly from my sources, it would be, if it is a unicorn these days, be around the 1 billion mark. And in GP Bullhound, they have them at 4 billion, which was kind of a speculative value which was placed on them about three or four years ago so you know you can pick holes in anyone's criteria pretty much yeah i think you know there may be um some things to look into with this particular report but what actually really surprised me was that i feel like american journalists just like to bash europe at kind of any chance they get we never see any european journalists bashing the americans that consider themselves unicorns i feel like nobody even questions it doesn't even cross their minds so this was really kind of a very strange article for me yeah no i i could see that point i mean we we talked about it before where we you know americans never talk about uber skewing the funding rounds you know they say well we've raised billions and billions this quarter whereas we kind of make excuses for it and say oh yeah but one billion of that was from spotify so you know maybe the picture isn't as rosy so i do think there's there's different ways that the kind of europe looks compared to america i mean also a good example there is the twilio ipo right now like it's the hype and articles around that is like sensational it's almost like the silicon valley thought wow we actually got a VC-backed company to float at a decent public valuation. It's almost like a 
a shock and surprise that they've managed to do it. Whereas in Europe, we kind of, this year, I can tell you of, you know, a couple of just IPOs in Sweden that were like $500 million plus valuations. Of course, Twilio is a billion plus valuation. Uh, and it is a big deal because it means that the market may kind of be opened up. But but my point is, is that the way kind of America and Europe looks at things in the tech space, especially when it comes to venture capital and valuations, is very, very different. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think probably we have to make sure that the criteria is really very clear because I hadn't heard about an age cap for unicorns before. Uh, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. So probably, you know, we don't need to go out and write kind of aggressive articles every single time, but maybe just make it much more clear that there are different definitions and criteria to look at. Definitely. And that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. You can, of course, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Acast, and SoundCloud. Let us know your feedback. I think we talked about quite a few kind of discussions or controversial uh, points this week. So we'll be delighted, stroke, uh, apprehensive to hear what your, your views are. So please reach out to us or abuse us on Twitter at Neil S.W. Murray or Roxanne at Roxanne Vaza or at tech underscore EU. And of course, the website is tech.eu. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil.